Hello everyone, this is The Ruck from deep in the heart of lockdown. We promise we stay with you throughout this bizarre and for many real difficult time. So we hope all you lovely Ruck listeners are well, so to your families, so to everyone in the National Health Service or all those alleviating our problems in any way, including incidentally the army. I'm very close to someone in the army who tells me today that they are moving in on Gloucester. Uh, I don't think that's with weapons, but with Gloucester, you never know. The panel today can only be described as stellar. We got Mark Evans, who's a great Ruck favourite. Lawrence Delalio is with us. Uh, Lawrence, we pretend our readers and our listeners at the end how they can take part in the Q&A with Lawrence by the Sunday Times on Saturday. Uh, that can be no holds barred. More of that later. And Owen Slot, a rugby correspondent of the Times. Slotty uh, tells me that, is it now three times you've won the Rugby Rights Reviewer Award, Slotty? Oh, don't embarrass me, Steve. I think it's three, but you do count after a while. I never realised that corruption was that deep, but well done, mate. Um, <laughs> Mark, uh, welcome back to the, U- to the UK. Just co- you just come back from one of your many um, uh, sports jobs around the world. What have you been yeah. up to since you came back? Well, I'm, I'm still running um, Global Rapid Rugby and Western Force from from my study in in leafy Hertfordshire. So uh, I'm 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 leading a strange existence. I, I sort of get up at midnight, do a four hour shift, uh, go back to bed for a couple of hours, then get up at seven o'clock and finish it off. So uh, here I am in my second shift of the day. So, um, it, yeah, it, it, you, it's all a bit weird. Are you happy how that's going? Yeah, we were really happy. We got round one away, and you know the, the the logistics of putting on a competition with you know in in six different Asian cities is is really cha- and Pacific Island uh, locations too is really challenging. But um, yeah, I, I was thoroughly enjoying it. It was great to get off the ground, but of course overtaken by events. Absolutely, L- Lawrence. Um, you, what's your week been like? I know you'd have um, uh, anxieties at Wasps, uh, keeping the whole show on the road as at most clubs, but. Um, have you managed to have some fun somewhere along the line? Well, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say fun, but uh, we, we've certainly been uh, been trying to stick to the uh, uh, you know stick to the rules, which, um, as you know, for me is always very difficult. Um, but I've been trying to stay in as much as possible. Um, in terms of keeping busy, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've done a lot of recycling and a lot of clearing out of, uh, like, like I'm sure most people, you know, the, the odd. Uh, uh, the odd call to, to wasps um, to Stephen Bourne um, just to understand the uh, the issues that are going on there on a on a regular basis, um, and obviously with BT Sport, you know, with no live sport to um, to go and work at, um, sure. and trying to create a little bit of content. We've done some old commentaries uh, or some new commentaries over some old games, um, and and just trying to get some stuff out there that people might might, might want to listen to and might want to watch, really. George, Owen, what's uh, you've been passing the time? Uh, I defrosted the freeze yesterday. I've adopted the um, the role of, of uh, chief ironing uh, <clears throat> chief ironing person in the house. So if you want to drop your ironing around, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely on top of that. Um, <clears throat> I tell you what, I've also done this week, Steve, is I've done some grown up reporting for the uh, for the news uh, section of the of the Times. Um, as you well know, there's not a lot of sport going on. So um, so I was doing um, I, I, the story that I really enjoyed doing about the uh, the Formula One teams. There's seven Formula One teams based. 
in the in the UK and how they've all come together. You know, they normally compete compete against each other, trying to beat each other week in week out. But um, they've all come together into this big project called Project Pit Lane, and they're part of this uh, um, uh, big impetus to um, uh, to get more uh, ventilators um, manufactured and, and out into the hospitals as soon as possible. So they're so they're like designing new ventilators. They're redesigning old ones, trying to work out how to boost production. Uh, these people are working seriously 24-7. All these boffins who spend the whole time trying to make a car go faster are now trying to um, trying to save lives. It's quite uplifting stuff, really. Okay, well, Woodward and Bernstein start, had to start somewhere, Slotty, in the, on the internet. <laughs> so, I think you could be bringing down the government any day. Uh, for me, especially these friends whereby BT sort of added new commentary to all games, although that was very successful. I also saw two World Rugby games, their um, streaming games on their website. One was um, France and England in the 1991 World Cup. The other one was Fiji and Wales in the 07 World Cup. Both were magnificent games. The Fiji-Wales game was every bit as magnificent and, and brilliant in attack as, as I remember it in 1907. The only thing is with both games, they showed you how much rugby had moved on and become more disciplined because... Had they been played under the current interpretations, it would have been about six aside at the end. There were sort of rank, rank red card offences committed. The commentary didn't even mention them, so that was quite um, that was quite interesting as well. Tell me that I've known you all for um, for donkey's years. Every every one interested. <laughs> Who was that? Well, I just received a phone call. How do you stop that happening? Well, you can put, <laughs> you put it on silent. I think that's another that's another batch of ironings just arrived for you, Owen. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That would that be my ironing slot you just got there? I don't I don't know, I don't know what to do about that. Maybe I just um no, you can put your phone on silent and still use it, Slotty. Come on. Okay, I, I am on silent now. I've managed to achieve that. Um, so well done me. Well done. Well done. That'll be a fun moment for our listeners to enjoy, won't it? <laughs> Slotty, so I'm just getting, I'm just getting into the flow. Then, you, good job I'm not a t- utter prima donna. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, em- how much em- of a em- prima em- donna em- are you then? Yeah, I was going to say emphasis on, emphasis on the word utter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a partial prima donna. I'm a partial prima donna. I am going to carry on and not flounce out the studio, as we call it, <laughs> and the garden. Guys, I've known you all for years. What I don't know about any of you is where you got the rugby germ in the first place. Where was the first time, Lawrence, you you were associated with rugby in any way? I guess there's a tiny dot somewhere. You know, rugby was was not uh, was not front of mind in in our in our household growing up. You know, Italian father, he actually genuinely didn't actually know what rugby was, um, and my mother. Uh, came from more of a sort of well, came from West Ham, so uh, she didn't know what rugby was either, really. Um, and uh, so, so my first introduction was at Staines Rugby Club. I was given uh, a lift down the road by uh, by a friend of ours with his dad, and that was kind of my first introduction, really, uh, to the culture of what, what you know, club rugby, junior club rugby, and um, it's a fairly uh, traditional place, as I would say. They. They put out a lot of teams every single week, as many clubs did up and down the country. And there, for me, there was just a great atmosphere in the clubhouse, and it, it represented everything that was good about the game at, at that kind of level. Um, there was a distinctive smell in the bar, I seem to remember, which for me, um, probably I thought about things like Coca-Cola and prawn cocktail crisps at the age of eight. But uh, <laughs> after, 
I guess for the older guys, there was, you know, a lot of singing and a, a lot of drinking um, and a lot of camaraderie and fun. And I think that's really where, where rugby started for me and playing in, in those mini rugby tournaments uh, from the age of about eight or nine. That was a, that sounds like a solid start. Slotty, I mean, you, 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 is rugby in your soul like the rest of us? Because you're very much a multi-talented, multi-sports character. You're right there, Steve. I I um I wandered into rugby without ever really meaning to. I I played a, a little bit at, at school, but I was uh, I, I wanted to be a tennis player, and I was sent to a, I was sent to a football school. Um, I played a little bit at Dorking Rugby Club, but um, I I remember distinctively getting concussed at the age of fourteen and thinking that um, uh, it wasn't wasn't that much fun. To, to, really, to be honest, uh, I I have there are two. Two two parts of my answer. One is uh, I'm one of these guys who generally remembers being at home watching the old Five Nations with my father and my brother, um, and and really appreciating the magic of that. But it just seems so very 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 far away. Um, then when I started being a sports reporter, uh, I used to do a, a football match every week, and I and I was on the independent on uh, independent on Sunday, and I remember extremely well on the Thursday before one. Uh, Five Nations weekend of sports have just said one of our uh, reporters is uh, is off ill. Does anyone else around here fancy doing a rugby game this weekend? And I could not believe the opportunity. What really go to a Five Nations game and and report on it for my newspaper? Uh, so anyway, my hand went up and I was sent no, to, sent along. I will. Many people have regretted that moment ever since. On that occasion, I, 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 I started to get an understanding of how rugby was different, certainly different to the football I've been reporting on, how the fraternity was different, how you can talk to players, communicate with people uh, uh, over a, a beer at the bar afterwards, how, how welcoming it was then. And I, I wonder how different it is for a new young reporter now, but I, I found it all really magical in a way, and, and that's why I've I've written about rugby not permanently but ever since then I've always done it I haven't missed a World Cup since that day Okay, Mark um, I was about six and I was born into a a fat in Cardiff in a family where my father was from the Western Valley who just loved sport but loved rugby above all sports so he used to take me when I was about six and I think I've conflated the season but the, the first game I can remember was Cardiff against Australia in November 66, when Cardiff yeah. won 14-8. And the Cardiff back line, I think, uh, well, I, I looked it up, actually. It didn't read like this, but I remember the back line being Gareth Edwards, Barry John, Gerald Davis, Maurice Richards, Kerry Jones, etc., etc. And I thought that would be the back line that played that day. But I actually looked it up the other day, and it wasn't. Billy Hullin was at Scrum Half, and yeah. he scored. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a good well. player and all, but but that was it. My dad took me on the terraces at the Arms Park from six onwards, and at Ninian Park to watch Cardiff City. To be fair, um, and I just loved it. They wouldn't let us play until we were ten. You had to wait. You had to play football in the playground. You weren't allowed to play rugby in for the for the primary school until you reached the top of the top of the juniors. So it was like loved it from six, but didn't play it till I was ten. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it was 11 with me because we had no mini rugby. There was never any mini rugby rugby. No, so none. The first, the, first, the first day I ever went to secondary school, that was Baisley School, uh, we, we, we'd never played it before. Well, we probably had a rugby ball we threw around, but 
I uh, remember Mr. John Harris, who was a very famous PE teacher, he just lined us all up. And he said, uh, second rows, you two. He said, number eight, me, pointed to me. So he picked 15 players. And off we started to have a game against another 15. We'd never played before. But I mean, because we'd seen so much rugby. I mean, I by 19... I mean, I saw New, Newport beat the Old Blacks in 1963. I was there at the age of nine with my, with my father. And so I'd seen hundreds of games. So it didn't need to be rugby. But I think we, we, just, we just carried on. So that was four different ways into the great game. Anyway, um, at the moment, the game we love it seems to have been... Uh, interrupted and disappeared but I think what's happening at the moment is everybody's now thinking blimey it's going to start again sometime god knows when but what happens to it now uh, especially what happens to the season it's already packed solid mark there's no uh, gaps in the season and yet people are talking about playing every game that we've missed are they are they not talking rubbish what happens to the to the season now I don't think there is much chance, and I don't want to come across as some kind of expert in the science of epidemiology because I'm not. But I don't, I cannot see how this season is completed. I just don't see the problems go easing enough, quickly enough to allow games to be played, even behind closed doors. And I think the shock waves that that will put through the game are still really, really difficult to identify. Uh, and I don't just mean that in England, I mean that globally. There is real pressure on certain unions. There's a lot of pressure on certain clubs. Not many have got much on the balance sheet. They haven't got huge cash reserves. And I can't see governments bailing out sports. It's going to be a long way down the list of priorities. So I think we may just be about to embark on the biggest realignment and repositioning of the sport that is seen since 1995. Uh, we'll just, just leave Mark for a second and come back to him. But Lawrence, um, you'd be in the thick of this at Wasp, but almost all clubs have, have asked their players to take very hefty pay cuts. Is it uh, a time of great anxiety in the game, would you say? Or uh, because some players have said, yes, we will take the cuts. Others have, have, have sort of rebelled. What, what's, what's the, what are the priorities for you? Yeah, well, I think the priorities for me are to put money to one side and... and... And the prospect of returning back to work in, in any way. I mean, you know, without sounding too dramatic, you know, sport is secondary, quite frankly, um, to the preservation mm. of life. And that's what we're talking about right now. Um, there are people dying uh, daily in this country and all over the world. And really, it f- feels very glib to be talking about when we're going to get sport back. And in our case, when are we going to get rugby back? The reality is that sport and rugby will come back when, when it's safe to do so. And, and none of us are in any position to, uh, to dictate in any way when, that, when it is safe to do so. But um, with, people, with people losing their loved ones on a daily basis, you know, I can't see any end to this for, uh, you know, in the near future. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. So, point I should have made it at the start. Is it's uh, we are talking about the the second or third priority here. And oh, and in that context, were you slightly surprised a few days ago when Premiership Rugby, a body that we've never ever been able to get much out of in terms of press conferences or explanations, uh, suddenly came out with a dis- desperation to be the first sport back, first sport on TV. And all of a sudden, they wanted to play all their games. And they wanted to play some in midweek. 
and this is the t this is the this is the body that wouldn't play in midweek once just to give the Lions one week uh, of preparation. Now suddenly they want to play all the time. Was that very odd to you? Yeah, uh, it was. It was just extraordinary. It was. It was. Um, it was out of kilter with the with the national mood. Um, uh, that's for sure. Uh, so, so Premiership rugby. They they say they want, as you say, they wanted to be the first sport back on TV. Well, that that that's that's great. And if they if they can be, then then we'll 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 all enjoy it when it comes along, and it'll give people something to 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 cheer about. Um, uh, but but to to, to set any projection on that seems peculiar I think it's just an indication of how much financial pressure they're all under I, I, I think they're yeah, if, I mean I'm party to some of them and it, it's it's I'm done some I'm sure you are Lawrence but yeah it is frightening I mean it's sad, not as frightening as people the, uh, the, I mean obviously the, the broadcasters in, in our case BT won't 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 forward any money unless the games are no. actually played no of course they won't and the broadcasting money is probably the. Uh, if you look at the, the lion's share of the four revenue streams that come into any rugby club, the by far and above yeah. the largest portion of that is broadcasting rights. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know they can they can just about do without match day revenue. They can they can hold on to sponsorship for as long as they can. You know the RFU will will give them something um, in the short term at least. But the the, the key is is the. Uh, is the broadcasting rights, and that's probably what what, what fueled um, the conversation, and, and maybe even the, the slightly um, slightly disingenuous quote from uh, from Premier Rugby. Lawrence, but Lawrence might... one question people have been have been asking is, uh, and this is these are outsiders who were confronted with the sudden influx of money from CBC, uh, which was going to bail us out for the for the till the next uh, next millennium. They're asking what happened to that money. What did happen to the CBC money? Well, I think I believe um, that, that there were some caveats handed out with the with the with the money around what, what each club could and couldn't spend um, their money on. Clearly, um, you know, the, putting it on into player wages was was a definite no no. So anyone who thinks that, that, that people have just suddenly paid their players more, you know, is, is mistaken. Um, the owners were not allowed to. Um, to take it all back as, as a recovery of their debt. Um, so, again, you know, the, the the thought that it's just gone straight into the bank accounts of the owners is, is a no-no too. Uh, I mean, clearly, each club needs um, different things. You know, for some, it's a in investment in infrastructure. For others, it might be uh, uh, might be something entirely different. What okay. I do know is that is that, that there was a, a part of that money uh, set set aside by CBC and Premier Rugby. I think it's around about thirty million pounds uh, in, in in a sort of a, a marketing and engagement pot, um, because the game, as we know, desperately desperately needs investment in terms of its growth. The viewing figures uh, and the attendances have not really changed that much in the last fifteen twenty years, which is an indictment of the way the game has been promoted um, over that time. Even though Premier Rugby have given themselves a pat on the back for the last fifteen years. <laughs> that there is um, a desire to try and get their hands on, on that money, particularly for clubs who perhaps are really feeling the pinch financially. But just going back to Mark's point around around the um, the refinancing of rugby globally, there's no doubt that that the, the statement from Premier Rugby shows that the that the uh, club rugby in England is so reliant on the income that it receives from its broadcaster in in, in Premier Rugby's case, BT Sport. 
which is why there's a real push to try and get the sport back on everyone's television screens because um, they could probably just about hold out with, with RFU support, with uh, missing out on match day revenue and, and sponsorship. But, but the, the, the big missing piece of the jigsaw for any rugby club right now is that the vast amount of money that is paid by its broadcaster. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mark, um, you, you, you were just hinting there at, um, at your view that, that, that when it all comes back, and bearing in mind that you know, it's not the priority at the moment, you're talking about major restructuring of what the games administration, the setup, or what? Well, the model, really. And this is not just in England, uh, okay? So this is we, we we've got a situation where, very, put very very simply, our revenues are not high enough to cover our costs, and as a result of that, we have very weak balance sheets. There's very little cash on hand, and we don't invest much in assets. Although, to be fair to the Premiership clubs, there's been a lot. There's been quite a bit of investment into ground and ownership in the last 20 years. Um, and then when a crisis hits you, if you've got no cash reserves and you haven't got anything on the balance sheet of value, you are very, very quickly going to run into trouble. And that's where we are. So if we were ever going to reset and recalibrate the whole game and get things aligned much more closely than they have been and uh, not... Just assume that a bunch of rich guys are going to bail the game out again. I think this is the time. Not not now. That would be completely inappropriate. But the other side of this, or towards the other side of this, there will be some casualties as well. Let's be fair. Some people, some organisations in the sport globally will go into administration because mm. revenues have just dropped to zero. Are you talking about national unions here? I'm talking about national unions and individual clubs. Yeah, right. Or, okay. pro- or provinces, if you like, on certain parts. Well, I mean, the real nightmare scenario is, I don't know whether this is likely or not. I don't, I don't have enough detail. But if one of the broadcasters went bust, like all professional sports, the biggest revenue stream is broadcast. And when that either gets switched off because the product can't be produced... Then there's there's no games to broadcast. Or remember ITV Digital in the early part of the century, in, a, in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. when they went bust. It massive that the impact on Championship and Div One, Div Two clubs was enormous in football. I don't think yet people have quite understood the possible ramifications of all this on a on a purely sort of business level because quite rightly we are concentrating at the moment almost entirely on the human risk and cost. Mark, are you saying that um, uh, what we can look forward to when uh, the coronavirus um, thing is finally all over and everybody's healthy, A, the, the, the salaries at the top will, will be 
for what in one way or another quite considerably reduced? And B, do you foresee there will be 12 professional clubs still around to, to have a 12-team league? Or will that have to be fewer? I'm not completely confident we will take the opportunity. Uh, let, let me say that. I just, I'm just saying if it's ever going to happen, this is, you know, this is the time because the pressure that organisations are going to be under financially will be so extreme. Do I think 12 clubs will survive? Sports clubs are very, very resilient organisations. I think probably, but for in, this is a bit of a chicken and egg argument, in order for them to survive, they're going to have to change the model. Otherwise, I think there will be casualties, just like there were the very last time there was a sea change of this nature. Wakefield, West Hartlepool, Oral, clubs, mm-hmm. great clubs, went mm-hmm. by the by. Lawrence, um, do you think that Wasps, uh, one thing they were, they were just bursting back through again and they were they were playing like Wasps and... Um, uh, some very, very promising young players. Is this the worst time, um, uh, or rather, let's put it another way, are you confident that teams like Wasp can still be playing in the new future, whatever it is? Um, well, it's a good question, and, and Mark's um, alluded to a few of the reasons why they may not. Um, the simple answer is, we don't know. The revenue has just dried up completely, uh, which is why not only Wasp, but pretty much, I would imagine, every premiership club um, has had sought now, maybe uh, with the exception of one, um, Exeter, has sought to uh, to try and reduce their cost base, um, both in terms of their playing department, and there's a number of around 25% been banded around, and, and obviously the non-playing staff, of which I would imagine most rugby clubs around the country and certainly across the Premiership, have reduced their central staff down to the, the bare bones. Maybe the CEO with one or two people that are a critical finance director and one or two others. Everyone else has been, you know, has been has, has been asked to stay at home for the foreseeable future with some sort of pay cut. So, you know, that that shows you that it's terribly worrying times. Costs remain high. Income is 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 frozen for the foreseeable future, and I guess. It depends, as Mark said, there's no cash reserves in the bank for any of these clubs. I think it's, it's posed so many different questions in so many different directions. And uh, I just hope that clubs like Wasps and many others, you know, are able to just hold on and, and buckle in and, and, and get through the other side. Um, because it would be a tragedy if we had another situation where we lost some, some famous names and some great clubs in, in the guise that they, they currently exist in. Two salient points here. One, it's, it's not the brutal, awful, um, chilling truth in this about the Premiership is that there are 13 clubs and the Premiership and, and PRL needs it to be 12. So if, if one goes to the wall, if one doesn't make it through, that's actually better for everyone. I know, I, I know that doesn't sound right, but for the business model, it probably is. And the second thing is... Do you think that CVC, having put all that money in, are going to get and are going to let more than one club go down? They, they, they've they put all that money that 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 whatever it was two hundred thirty million into the into this new asset. Surely they're going to want to want to prop up almost the entire thing. That's twelve clubs rather than let another one go. Okay, well, let's just can we just move on a little bit, Mark. Um, 
unions, uh, you, you, you would know, because uh, you've got your finger on the pulse, that Australia are apparently now really, really struggling, as opposed to just really struggling. The first uh, instinct of the union, first of all, let's talk about Twickenham. Twickenham still seems to me to be a labyrinthine organisation. A lot of their functions are duplicated in Premiership Rugby. They've still got this ginormous committee who, that, that go around uh, watching games when they actually haven't got any vo much voting power. Can Twickenham possibly be re-emerging anything like the same form due to the, the after the blows of the of this virus period? The RFU is in a slightly well, no, not a slight. It's in a significantly better position. For a start, it has assets um, and, and, and a, a large one in in, in, in Twickenham and, and the hotel and the and the and the gym and all the rest of it. I accept that has a high fixed cost to it, but it, nevertheless, it is an asset that isn't going anywhere and has a value and can be borrowed against. Um, and also, purely by luck, their next major revenue generators aren't until November. Yeah, you lose a Barbarians game. That's unfortunate. You might lose a couple of concerts. I, I, I'm not all over their, their, uh, what their schedule was, but you may lose a couple of concerts in the summer period. But actually, the real earners, both from a gate-taking and a broadcast point of view, are in the autumn and the spring, early spring, winter, early spring. They must be hoping that the virus comes under control within six months, because then, although it will be a blow, it will not be anything that you shouldn't be able to manage your way through. Premiership, not so much cash in the balance sheet, not so many assets in the middle of their season, having to can't sell season tickets, which is a real blow, a real thing for cash flow every April, May, June for every club. Can't see how you do that until you see where we're going. And the other thing I would also mention, don't forget, the central revenue to the clubs is dropped by 27% because that's CBC's um, share as their shareholding return. So whereas the clubs were getting, uh, these are very rough figures, six million from the middle every season, that's probably dropped to about 4.5. Now that was coming anyway, but that won't help either. Okay, Lawrence, and uh, we're talking about something deeper here as well, though, with all this stuff. We're talking about something, something rather enormous and rather lovable is at, is at stake here. When you when, let's leave, leave aside balance sheets for a minute, it's such a magnificent activity. And isn't it a tragedy that it could be actually lost or it could be struggling and, and fewer people are going to be able to indulge in it? There's no doubt that that is the case, um, but I, I'd, I'd almost flip that on its head and, and say that, look, w when we do come out the other side, um, and we will do, you know, without sounding too, uh, uh, you know, if we, if we could fast forward, say, you know, next season, uh, in, any, in any walk of life, uh, what, what this whole pandemic has, has made everyone realise is, is, is to stop and think and, and truly appreciate what we have, both personally, yeah, fair point. In, ter in terms of, our, in terms of our, our way of life, our health, uh, etc., the health of our family. But, but, all, but more, more, you know, more than that, it, it's about the things that maybe we've taken for granted. And, and, and I include sport within that. Um, you know, we've been charging forward at 100 miles an hour. Um, trying to find the next pound and the next thing that's you know big in our sport and 
uh, instead of actually cherishing what, what 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 we really have. And it's not until, and I know it sounds, um, you know, easy to say this, and and but it's not until something is taken away from you, um, you know, be it someone that's close to you or or, or even your sport, that, that you realise what it meant to you, what it means to to everyone moving forward. So. Hopefully, it'll make us, as Mark said, think differently about our way of life, uh, and that includes the way we um, appreciate our sport. Really, um, whether that be at the very top of the game or, 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 or every single level of the game itself. Slotty, we 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 love what we do, really, don't we? Even despite the vicissitudes, and we love the people we we, we meet. Are you as, as um, I mean, Lawrence is making surely a great point there that. It's the strengths of rugby, not just the lack of finance, but the strengths of rugby in other areas, which which will make it help it bounce back. I think that's that that is the case, but there's a difference between the the professional end and and, and trying to make make the um the the sums add up and and the the, the community end, which I think will um will come back very strong, you know, just as long as there's not too many clubs who spent too much money on on players they can't afford, which will be a problem, but. Yes, we're sitting around, we're, we're licking our wounds and we're coming to terms with what we're missing out on. I just think that, that we're, we're, we're licking our wounds and appreciating um, what we're missing. And I think at that community level uh, where most people play their rugby, I think, uh, and watch their rugby and enjoy watching their family play their rugby, I think that'll come back strong because people will know how much they're missing. Lads, just 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 have one just to make it, uh, I'd love to end on that on a happy note. Just tell me one great memory where one day where rugby was just the best it's ever been for you. Just something happened on that day, on or off the field, when you were a kid, when you are an adult, when you were a journalist, when you were a broadcaster, when you were an administrator. We start with, with you, Mark. My very first game I ever played competitively was, um, I don't know what year it is. I was 10. It was on, it was at Landau Fields in, uh, in Cardiff. And St. Peter's played St. Caddocks in the Cardiff and District Under 11 League. And I was so, I just, I'd loved the game and watched the game for so long to actually play it was just the most exhilarating experience. We lost 9-0 and some bloke called David Bishop played scrum half for them and scored three oh, tries. Blimey. That shows you how long ago it was. But it was just, I thought, yeah, I am five. Never forgotten it. I thought, I'm finally, finally playing this game I've watched for like four or five years. And it was just as brilliant as I'd hoped it would be. Lawrence, you've probably got more choices available of great times than than some of us, but what was yours? What's the day where well, it was, uh, rugby was the greatest thing? It was, I mean, for me, the, the, as you said, there's probably a few, but at, I was at Twickenham and, and I was about 18 or 19 years of age and I just played the day before for, for England Colts against France Colts and I was given a ticket to the game and I went with my mates and it was that day uh, I saw something that, that was just so magical that it made me want to play rugby for England. Uh, it was the Grand Slam decider, of course, at Twickenham in, in 1991. Uh, and it was a try that was scored by Philippe Santandre that brought the entire stadium, ourselves included, to its feet, really. I think it started with a, an England penalty that Simon Hodgkinson had missed. Pierre Berbizier caught the ball and gave it to, uh, to Serge Blanco, who looped round under his own post. And, of course, they went there the length of the field um, and 
Philippe Saint-André scored uh, in the middle of the park. And, and it was just a magical moment. Um, you know, France were magnificent. England went on to win the Grand Slam that day. And, uh, and, and all of us who played the day before just left with, with, with bewilderment, really, and, and in wonder at what we'd seen. Um, wonderful match, great atmosphere, probably the best I've ever seen at Twickenham, bar none. Mm. And, uh, and we all left thinking we'd love to emulate those guys out on the field. I remember Babizier, uh, you, you're quite right, you called it in, in order, but Babizier stood stock still for like five seconds, just about to touch the ball down, and thinking, shall I go? And then he went, and blimey, it was unbelievable. Slotty, warmest, best day ever. Well, uh, I, I could go on about my um, uh, multiple exploits on the field and, and, and my achievements and how I had people cheering at me from the stands. But I think no I'll, scary, I'll go no for what... You might fall off You might fall off I'll be disconnected pretty fast. No, I, I, I'm not going to rewind very far. I'm, I'm going to go back to one of the... Uh, maybe my greatest ever day as a spectator reporter. Japan against Scotland in the... Uh, in in the World Cup group game. Uh, that was a game we didn't think was going to happen uh, for, for different reasons. The typhoon. So it, so it had a magical feel to it that day anyway because the game did happen. Uh, and then what a game. What an extraordinary performance by Japan. Uh, what what skill, what handling, what courage. Uh, what, a, what a feast to see the small guy beating the little guy. And the stadium just seemed the happiest place in the world. I think we floated out of it that day, Jonesy, feeling that we'd seen the best thing in our lives. Yes, we did. We did. That that would be very close for me as well. I, th- I think. The thing is, with, with with me, I was slightly different when I the way I came up because I just the journalism thing was what I wanted to do, and the rugby was incidental. I could have done if I could been a journalist, I'd be very very happy. Even though I love rugby, but I think. There was a day in 83 where I sat in the, the old press box at Twickenham. I was probably the youngest there at the time, as opposed to now when I'm the oldest there by about 20 years. And um, for my first game was n- number one on the Sunday Times. Barnsley was playing at it. That was the amazing thing. But to be, to be at a rugby match covering it, and that was your job, that was just wonderful. But um, the love of rugby, I suppose we've all got 50 days like that. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us today. I got to just tell you two ways that you can get in touch with Lawrence with all your difficult questions. Following on from the uh, successful uh, Ask the Columnist uh, with Graham Soonis in last weekend Sunday Times, you can do the same uh, and up for questioning is myself. So if you want to write your questions in, you can do so on the Sunday Times Sport Twitter feed at ST underscore sport. Uh, Get your questions in and I'll try and answer them. They will be published, the very best ones this weekend or you can email sportsletters at sunday-times.co.uk so sportsletters at sunday-times.co.uk and the best questions will be printed this Sunday in the Sunday Times.